morning, Northgate. By the time any of you are going to be watching this, it'll likely be in the middle of a cold, rainy, long weekend. Not exactly what we'd anticipated in the middle of our peak vacation time, but we'll get what we take. At least it's not snow. So far, we've never had that in August. So happy Civic Weekend for those of you that are vacationing wherever you may be. For those of you that are indoors like I am here, enjoy. Uh, anyway, what I thought I'd do today and listening to the Spirit, is, I believe, is, is, is doing a rather simpler message. Probably the first time I've ever done this, but I'm just going to use part of one verse. And so I'm sitting in my rocking chair and out in the sunroom here and really just want to give some fatherly advice, which I could give from me, but instead I'm actually going to quote some spiritually fatherly advice from the Apostle Paul. So it's a simple message today. Dan and Amy will be returning this coming week, so we're grateful for the vacation time that they've had. And last week, Caleb uh, shared with us about faith. Excellent, excellent teaching, Caleb. Thank you uh, so much for encouraging us in that area and explaining what faith is, and also leaving us with that, that question of, we have faith for our salvation. We have faith that we're going to go to heaven. But what about the in-between? What have we got faith for? Uh, so if you haven't listened to that message, give it a listen to it. If you weren't there last week, give it a give it a listen to it. It's very, very good. So today, let's have some fatherly advice from the spiritual father of many, many thousands of people, the Apostle Paul. I'd like to start it off with just asking you the question that I would ask myself. What, what do you need? What do we need? like really need. And with us going through COVID the way we did, we experienced some of the things that we really needed. And many of us were guilty or caught up in hoarding it so we'd never run out of it. it seems like there's lots of it now, but even still there's strange things that we're running out of. I just heard recently that paint is in short supply at times because of the demand for latex and who would have guessed? So there's still things that we need, but there's so many things that we don't need. What do you long for now, in the future? What are you aiming for? What are you looking for? What's the deep longing for? For some of us, it's seeing family and friends again and being able to, to be close and have a meal around the table and fellowship. And with that, the question then arises, what do, what do you hope for? Where does your hope come from? Is your hope that you will somehow be able to do it? Is the hope that somehow you might get lucky, so to speak, and win a lottery? And how, how are you going to achieve what you long for? If you happen to do know what you long for. So I like this theme of questioning because it really gets down to us looking and pausing and, and stopping and thinking, what is it we live for? And bottom line, what is your, what is my purpose in life? Does that sound kind of too serious for a holiday weekend? This message, I believe, is filled with hope, but it's also filled with challenge. In our readings this week, that we've been going through in Northgate, reading the New Testament through um, in 90 days, 
I finished up the reading in Philippians, and I was quite taken by the book. Reading it as a whole book, I actually read it all as all at once, and it's quite intriguing to be able to do that, not just reading a passage or a chapter at a time, but reading the whole book, getting the whole feel for it. And as I did, I went back to chapter one and was just quite impressed by one part of a verse. Now, this book was written by that same man that a few weeks ago I spoke on the Apostle Paul, and when he started out in this journey, he was Saul, and he was a crazy man. He was just zealous for destroying the Church of Christ. He was zealous to remove any of these believers that had infiltrated the Jewish faith. He was set upon destroying them no matter what it cost. He was there when they stoned Stephen and approved of it. He watched, and yet I wonder as he watched, what did he notice? Why, why would this man that was dying for his faith not fight back, but rather be transformed by the glory of God as he's dying for the Apostle Stephen? So what, what did Paul really think? What was Saul thinking about when, when Jesus encounters him? And then as he surrenders his life and is filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks with the power of God in his life, Saul, who we now refer to as Paul, is empowered. He's radical. He's fearless. He knows what it's like to be in prison, to be beaten, to have, to have not, to be shipwrecked. To, I mean, what a life. And so he's writing to the Philippian church, but he's writing from prison, very likely in Rome. And he writes kind of from a point of view of fatherly advice, of looking back. It's probably been 25 or 30 years since his encounter with Jesus. And now he's had time to look back and reflect and see what is of the greatest value. His purpose, his greatest satisfaction, one part of one verse is all I want to leave us with today. For me to live is Christ. Philippians 1, 21. For me, for Paul, to live is Christ. Now, when I say that, you probably think, yeah, so what? I've read that verse maybe thousands of times. I've seen it quoted, read it on plaques, bookmarks, everywhere. Such a great quote. But here's what caught me this week. The word is. For me to live is Christ. And I realized I don't really know what that means. Is. Now, I do what I love to do. I love to Google the word and look it up and read it in a dictionary. And it's very funny trying to even look up the word is because that confuses Google. Um, so I got some rather strange um, interpretations of what I was asking, but finally I landed on one. And I thought this is good from the Collins Dictionary. It sounds legit, but it defines the word is as this. It's the third person singular. It's been a long time since I've been in school, but I get that a bit. The third person singular of the present tense to be. So it's a tense of the words to be. So Paul, 
in essence, is saying this, for me to live is to be Christ, is to be Christ. Well, I went on and I thought I'd look up some commentators as well and find out how would they define this? Because often there's commentaries that define things and they really just say what it says in a different way, but they don't help us to understand what do I do with this? How do I be to be Christ? How do I is Christ? So I found a few and I'd like to share them with you today. One of them, Ellicott, says, Christ is my life. The whole concrete state of life so lived in him that it becomes a simple manifestation of his presence. Our lives, yours and mine, a simple manifestation of his presence. Well, that's a standard to strive for. To be simple manifesting his presence. It's flowing out of our lives. Another commentator by the name of Barnes says, to be, to is Christ, means my sole aim, the only thing I aim for, is to glorify Christ. Luther says of this, Christ is, to me, life. Chuck Smith, who was founder of Calvary Chapel, says of this verse, he says, he is the center of my existence. There's nothing else. Nothing competing. Nothing distracting. He, Jesus, Christ, God, is the center of my existence, and my life revolves around him. So Paul, in looking back, he wasn't in a comfortable rocking chair and a nice little room like this, but rather in prison, and he's looking back, and he's really saying to the church at Philippi, and he's saying to us thousands of years later, he says this, nothing else matters. Nothing compares or satisfies. And Jesus says that. Jesus said that you can drink of all the waters around you, of money, of fame, of position, of power, of possessions. Isn't it incredible how we still want more when we have so much? We're at a stage in life right now where it's like, I don't want anything got so much. I don't really need anything. I still like things. But of what satisfies? Remember, all of these things, they will pass away. They always keep us thirsty for more. We're never satisfied with them. Our whole world is centered around dissatisfaction. But Jesus Jesus so beautifully describes it this way, and he says he ever drinks of this water, of this life of me, will be satisfied, will never thirst. You'll have the deepest of satisfactions ever known to man. Paul, in this writing, says you need nothing but Christ. And he says, whether I live or whether I die, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain, is the second part of that verse. And 
he says, there's nothing that matters. I have Christ. In this life, Christ is most favorable. In the life to come, Christ is most favorable. My hope and my purpose, my only existence, is Christ. As I was looking for some commentary, I came across something that C.S. Lewis wrote. And I want to read it to you. It's straight on this sheet of paper here. But I was looking up this whole thought about what is it like to be Christ? And so C.S. Lewis says this, and I'd like to read this to you. Very profound. So kind of stay with me. Uh, it's a little bit long, but stay with me. He says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will never thirst. It's an element of faith. There is a hunger in the human heart which none but Christ can satisfy. There is a thirst which none but he can quench. There is an inner emptiness which only he can fill. I don't know, C.S. Lewis says, of any more striking expression of this in contemporary literature than in the writing of Malcolm Muggeridge, who said, quoting, I may, I suppose, regard myself as being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the street. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the highest slopes of inland revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, can partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact in our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, writes Malcolm Muggeridge, I beg of you to believe me. Multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draught of the living water that Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty. All of this is, is so immeasurably less than a taste, a drink, drawing from the living water that Christ offers us. I take these words of Paul as I look back even in my own life, reflect on those that have mentored me and journeyed with us, and look that as we begin to look back in life, and many of you are so young and you think you have the future still ahead as I did. I was never going to get old. I was never going to look like this. I was going to somehow buck the trend. But here I am. When I look back and look back with what these mentors have shown me and what we see in the writings of Paul and read that Jesus said, I look back and think there's nothing. There's nothing that satisfies. I love this quote by Malcolm Muggeridge. He had it all. He had all that you and I are maybe still striving for. And what he says is nothing of that compares to a taste 
Why do we spend all our effort and energy on this when the living water awaits us here? What do we do to find this, to find this to be? How do we grow beyond the faith that primarily has rescued us from sin and is leading us to heaven, which are essential? How do we live this out today? How do we go back to quoting what like somebody like Chuck Smith would say about it just being so essential. He's the center of my existence. How do you and I get to this place where we could say with him, my life revolves around Christ? As I was sitting on that, I think on my own journey, it's been recognizing that all that I have looked for doesn't satisfy. Even good things. Even trying to serve God in my own strength, it doesn't satisfy. It's so immeasurable compared to being in Christ, with him, fellowshipping. So the first thing I would encourage us to do is to consider, ask, pray, knock, and seek, to quote Jesus. To respond to any promptings the Holy Spirit is giving you or has given you already. To repent of any of your independent ways, of still thinking you can do it. You know, I was reading about the disciples this week, and they were saying about, why can't we do this anymore? We used to cast out demons, and we can't do it anymore. And Jesus says, well, this only comes out with prayer and fasting. And really what he was saying to them is, you have gotten so comfortable thinking you can do it yourself, you're doing it without me. So we have to go back to that place. Jesus, I cannot do this. I cannot serve you. I cannot live this life without you, without the presence of your Holy Spirit revealing God to me, revealing your living word to me. So we ask, we pray, we knock, we seek. And in doing so, ask God, teach me, show me, how do I love you beyond all of this? That's faith. Putting faith in practice. Above all other loves, how do I love you beyond this? To drink of this living water. To drink and be satisfied. You might notice that I have a little hummingbird feeder over here, and the hummingbirds are humming around. And, and I feel that right now every two or three days. They drink and drink and drink. They come to the source and drink. And Christ is saying, come to the living water. Come to me and you will be satisfied. All other else doesn't satisfy. We learn how to abide in his presence. Be content with him. Love him. Wait on him. Be faithful. Be in his word every day, to be in his presence every day. Surrendered lives. Centered on Christ. In Christ alone. Then, as we begin to live that out, Christ is our center, all of our existence, then we too, you and me, can begin to say like Paul said, for me, for Doug Sprunt to live is Christ. For you to live is Christ. To be Christ. You, me, Christ. And purpose, there's nothing close to satisfying.
Oh, Father, thank you for these words that you inspired Paul to write, pass out through these generations about what the greatest value of life is, is you, Jesus. It's you. It's you in us and us in you. Our sole purpose. Nothing separating us. Living whole and pure lives. Obedient. Living, loving in you. Lord, I pray for myself as I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. That we will grow in our faith in you. In our trust in you. In your love in you that we will be able to say truly that nothing else matters but you. Nothing compares to you. And for me to live is Christ to be you. Lord, I pray for those that haven't yet experienced this truth of what it's like to be in you. I pray that today that they will call out to you or reach out to somebody as well if they need more understanding to, to be able to ask and be able to find how it is we come into this amazing relationship with you, I pray. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this amazing grace, for this amazing salvation, and for the future we have, that if we live today or we go to be with you, it's all the best. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. We pray this through your name. Amen. God bless you. Have a very nice...